This conference will now be recorded. And we're going to go ahead and get started. This is the Pro Tem Roundtable for all of our Pro Tems. Uh, today is June 7, 2021. Uh, we, if everything goes well, this will be uploaded to YouTube and it will be uploaded as an audio-only podcast. As always, the materials uh, that we talk about today will be put together in a packet and they'll be put into judicial resources. Our faculty today includes Judge Anna Huberman from Country Meadows Justice Court, Judge Kathy Riggs from Hawaii, uh, and Captain Pro Tem Taj Rahi Liu. And we're actually going to start off first with uh, one of our Pro Tems, who is a, a, um, an Emeritus AOC Counsel, uh, Jerry Landau. And Jerry is going to first talk about new legislation quickly. and. Uh, and the legislature is not in session, so this isn't entirely final. Uh, then um, he'll talk about Prop 207. Uh, you can put questions in the chat box. You can interrupt and ask questions. If you, you are welcome to leave your camera on, but if you do that, please uh, make sure that you're paying attention. And uh, Jerry will let you take it away. And, and uh, Jerry, once again, I think you must be Canadian because this is the Canadian spelling of judgment. Huh. No, I'm not. I do go to Canada periodically when they'll let you in, but uh, I is I spell judgment wrong. Well, um, yeah, I'm not used to it. You know, between judgment and expungement, uh, one of these days I'll I'll get it right. Ah. Uh, uh, and I'm sorry, I also want to introduce uh, presiding Judge Keith Russell, who's presiding judge for about uh, three more weeks, uh, is also with us. Okay, Jerry. Okay, uh, thank you all. I'm glad to be here. As I mentioned previously, I do need to leave at four o'clock because I have to attend the Superior Court Proposition 207 Implementation Team uh, meeting. Uh, I'm not gonna go through all of these. I, I picked out a few from a uh, larger uh, summary that's being presented at the judicial conference in uh, in two weeks to all the limited jurisdiction court judges uh, in the state. Uh, but I just wanted to point out a few things to you. And when we get to um, when we get to a few of them, I'm going to stop and spend a, maybe a little bit more time. Uh, but the uh, the first one is Chapter 74. Uh, this um, started with the pandemic and uh, also with uh, ODR, online dispute resolution, um, it removes the uh, requirement that the fingerprint that sentencing be taken in open court at the time of sentencing. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not feasible, especially with online, um, online uh, dispositions and with people not coming to court and some courts are having it done outside. Uh, but we won't go into the different ways you can do it, but this does provide greater flexibility for taking the fingerprint. We still do need to take the fingerprint. However, it does not, it would not have to be in open court uh, at the time of sentencing. And by the way, legislature is still going on. They're bickering over the budget and uh, hopefully as we do every year, and uh, they're working towards a resolution and the effective date of these bills, unless otherwise stated, will probably be uh, sometime middle of uh, September. So uh, more information will go out uh, on that. Uh, chapter 112 somewhat revises 
the uh, penalties for motor carrier violations. So just um, uh, just be aware of them. Most of them are going to be classified as civil traffic violations unless the violation uh, results in an uh, uh, out of uh, out of service uh, order, and it also sets some uh, some fi finite um, fine amounts. Uh, In chapter 148, and I noticed uh, when I was doing my cut and pasting, I left out a, I left out a, a chapter. Uh, but uh, chapter 148, and I'll send the revised materials. Uh, a person. This has to do with the fact that um, I guess word came to a legislator. I would assume that persons were being booked into jail, serving an hour, getting out, and being awarded credit for time served. The intent of the bill is that a person has to serve eight hours in jail when booked in order to get credit for time served. I guess an argument could be made that you can receive, person can receive one day's credit for every eight hours that the person serves. Uh, that's clearly not the intent uh, of it, and that's kind of skirting around the uh, the intent of the legislation. And um, it's all discretionary with the judge. But clearly the intent is you don't get credit for any time served unless you spend eight hours uh, uh, in in jail. Uh, so if there are any questions on that, uh, let me know. Uh, I did leave out the uh, chapter and title of the of the next bill. Uh, this allows a um, a non-attorney to come in and collect a um, uh, to collect a judgment. It comes out of a situation down in uh, in Cochise County uh, where that uh, uh, that was going on or a business who was involved in that wanting wanted to do business uh, in a court. You're basically the person's being assigned the judgment for collection purposes, but is not um, is not uh, representing the um, uh, the party, uh, the prevailing party. But um, you will, the attorney will be able to, uh, or the person will be able to uh, assign a monetary judgment uh, to a person who's a licensed debt collector, and that person can come in and, and do the, and do the, uh, and do the collection. Senate Bill 1551, Chapter 189, and we're still doing work on this thing. And we've had one meeting, and we're having a second one with the Motor Vehicle Division. Uh, this is um, a few things. Number one, uh, in essence, the first two lines means that no longer are drug fines mandatory. Um, the court can waive them or mitigate them if it fits the hardship criteria. Uh, now, it doesn't affect Maricopa County all that much because all the, the drug offenses with mandatory fines are filed in, uh, in Superior Court. This will affect the limited jurisdiction courts where possession of marijuana uh, has in possession uh, possession of marijuana was filed into uh, into justice court, uh, and will also affect this and city court. It will also affect the superior court um, as well. But bottom line is a court um, a court can go ahead and the um, court can go ahead and uh, mitigate a um, uh, can mitigate a, uh, a drug fine. It can mitigate any fine except uh, except the DUI fine. 
there's a change in the law regarding failure to pay a civil traffic violation. Uh, and now with this bill, no longer will you suspend or restrict the driver license. So for civil traffic violations, no longer will you suspend or restrict the driver license. In this bill, there is an exception for those holding a commercial driver license. However, in another bill that's repealed, so don't take that to the don't take that to the bank. Bottom line is across the board, uh, you will not be able to suspend um, for a um, or restrict for failure to appear. Traffic ticket enforcement program and collections are the are the remedies. Arizona Department of Transportation is required to rescind the suspension or restriction. Uh, and there's an issue with the restriction I'll talk about in a moment and reinstate the person's license if the suspension resulted from not paying a civil penalty before this law takes effect. And MBD is in the process of um, getting set to, to go ahead and, uh, and do that. Um, any questions on that part of it? And I'll get to the second part in a moment. The next, uh, the next section, chapter, chapter 209, uh, and Charles, you want to bring that up a little bit? Uh, that is what I'll call um, the Judge Kathy Riggs Act of uh, 2021, as she's asked me about it for a few years. This will allow you to uh, set aside uh, criminal traffic violations, uh, whereas before you weren't able to for the most part. Uh, chapter uh, chapter 222, House Bill 2171, I'm not going to go through, you can read it. Um, this is the Marijuana Prop 207 Implementation Bill. Uh, the one thing to note is uh, for justices of the peace, you will get judicial productivity credits for uh, expungement petitions and also uh, for civil marijuana violations. Uh, chapter 243, uh, Senate Bill 1322, the initial appearance on, a, uh, on an eviction uh, can be, um, uh, must be by video if, uh, uh, if requested by uh, one of the parties. This was pushed by the landlords who don't want to come to court for the uh, initial appearance. If the court continues a contested matter at a later date, the court, you can require all the parties and witnesses uh, to participate in, um, in person. On um, Senate Bill uh, 1412, you might see uh, some additional injunctions against harassment. Uh, it's expanded to include contact if the was a victim of uh, specified crimes that are listed uh, and the person now, when the person gets out of prison or gets off probation, uh, the court can determine whether um, the person can get an injunction against harassment and um, the court can determine whether or not to prohibit the defendant from, uh, uh, from contacting, the, uh, contacting the victim. Uh, so this is more protection for, uh, for victims. Uh, 
House Bill 2110 got a lot of discussion and a lot of rank. I had a number of discussions with um, with said staff on that. It permits the court to order community restitution uh, in order to pay off civil uh, civil sanctions with the exception of the time payment fee. But a few things to note about this bill. Um, number one, as I mentioned, posed for a civil traffic violation. Number two, the judge and the defendant must agree to do it. The judge cannot order the defendant or the violator to go to community supervision in lieu of uh, paying monetary obligations. And the, plus the person can't do it on his own. Uh, Community, uh, community restitution in lieu of uh, fines, uh, monetary obligations is in three areas, the civil traffic, criminal, and juvenile. And the rates were kind of different in each. And this sets the rates as the minimum wage rounded up to the nearest dollar. Uh, some wanted, um, some wanted uh, minimum wage, a higher amount. We said, we don't care where you set it, except it needs to be number one uniform and number two a dollar amount not eleven dollars and twenty nine cents so um it's the minimum wage rounded to the um to the nearest dollar and i'm sure the uh, uh office of the uh, justice peace administration will um uh will uh publish that uh, this one got a lot of discussion for number one it theoretically on the surface allows the waiver of uh or mitigation of clean election, um, or excuse me, the substitution of community restitution for the clean election surcharge, and that you may get legal issues uh, on that. And there were some people who believe this from violation of the 15th Amendment as slavery. Uh, that one I'm not seeing, but necessarily, but that was, um, that was an argument. Uh, chapter, uh, 306, House Bill 2170, accrued attorney's fees um, are, are read as the amount that can be included in a garnishment. And here's the other one I want to talk to you about, uh, House Bill 2143. This was ADOT's, uh, what we do every year, their revisions bill. It's their omnibus cleanup bill every year. Uh, there was some discussion on Senate Bill 1551 as to whether or not we could even include commercial driver license in um, in the repeal of the mandatory suspension or restriction. Ultimately, we found out that that could be included and therefore, however, 1551 had gone through already, so it was corrected in, um, in, in this bill. Now, ADOT took the rescission portion that was in statute in the other bill and put it into session law in this section. However, there was a drafting error that could not be fixed until next year. What it does, it says that ADOT must rescind the suspension or the revocation. It doesn't say the suspension or the restriction. So theoretically, ADOT has no authority on the surface of rescinding the, to rescind the restriction. However, ADOT considers the restriction 
as a subset of the suspension and therefore will rescind both. Clearly, the intent of the legislation is to be able ADOT to rescind the suspension and the restriction. But I must tell you that in my opinion, there's no authority, and you'll form your own opinion sitting on the bench, there's no authority for ADOT to rescind a restriction. Now, they're going to do it. And if you, however, want that restriction to continue, you'll need to notify ADOT of that. But again, I do point out the spirit of the law, the intent of the law is that the restriction be rescinded. And if not for a drafting error, it, um, it, it would have been and might, and might anyway. Um, then there's some additional CDL disqualifications that are put in there as well. The bill's much larger, and uh, but the rest doesn't, uh, <coughs> excuse me, doesn't pertain to us. That's a brief overview on the uh, on the legislation that um, is of uh, interest, and I'll send out when it's completed a more uh, um, uh, a more complete summary and um, you'll be able to have that. Are there, are there any questions? Judge Huberman, did you, did you want to ask your question? Oh, sure. I mean, it just had to do with the eight hours. That one day of jail had to be eight hours. And I was just wondering, because right now, Attorneys are having themselves surrender at 8 p.m. because that's the time, the latest time that the jail accepts self-surrenders in the expectation that that would count as the day. Or are they going to keep them eight hours the following day to make eight full hours? I was just curious if we had an idea how that worked. Uh, the, the intent is the person self-surrenders at eight o'clock they would need to be there until four in the morning until um, uh, until they can get a, uh, in order to get a day in jail credit. Uh, mm. It doesn't have to be eight hours within a one day period. It could be eight hours crossing over two days. Okay, so I guess now that the jail is only allowing self-surrenders up until 8 p.m., they're either going to have to go in at 4 p.m. or no, they can or, still go in at eight. They can still go in at 8 p.m. and it just if they get out before 4 a.m. they won't they get credit. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And then how would that? And then how would that work with people? Like for example, if they were arrested. At the stop, the police take them and then they go to the initial appearance court and then are released. How would we know how many hours they were in jail? Well, they go to the initial appearance court and release. They're not booked into jail, so they wouldn't get any credit at all. Yeah, you know, they're they're booked when they go to an initial appearance. First, they're booked and then they see the judge. Well, yeah, I guess if it, sometimes they do, sometimes they're not. Yeah, if 
then you'll have to they have to show they were in there for eight hours in order to get mm -hmm. in order to get credit. Okay, I just pulled up the, the, the statute. It, it is exactly one sentence, and it says a person who receives time served credit towards a mandatory term of incarceration for a violation of this chapter must serve at least eight consecutive hours for each day of credit. But the, the way that time served credit uh, is what you give at a change of plea for the time that they served when they were arrested, not necessarily their, their jail term. So if they, if they wanted that you know, each day in jail to be at least eight hours, they could have said that. That's not what they said. Well, if a person, I have never given, most judges I know, and discussions I've been in have never given credit for time served if a person is simply arrested and released out of the police station. Uh, they yeah. uh, now maybe some maybe some judges do, but right. I I I, ne I never have. Um, the statute says, uh, who's says, Charles pointed out. I read it to say, and it is poorly drafted, but. Um, a person who receives the credit for time served, and it should be, the language should be reversed, but um, towards a mandatory sentence has to serve at least eight hours. Basically what it's saying is, if a person, a person must serve eight hours in jail uh, in order to get credit for eight consecutive hours for each day of credit. Uh, and I think maybe we're saying the same thing in just a, such a, different way. I think the unknown is that what happens if the person serves 16 hours and gets released? Does he get two days credit? Um, and I don't, that's clearly not the intent of it. But now I know someone may make that argument. However, don't forget this is all discretionary anyway on the judge's, uh, the judge's point of view from the judge's standpoint. So uh we have to see and i wouldn't i'm looking quickly at the chat i wouldn't necessarily at least to me and you all are going to interpret it the way you feel it's appropriate to interpret um but i'm looking at judge riggs's um comment that so we would have to look at the time of arrest booked into fourth street as well as release time i wouldn't look at the time of arrest because that doesn't count as far as i'm concerned I look at the time he's booked into 14th Street, um, and uh, I think that uh, then that's where it starts, and that's the eight hours. Um, so this, that's that's the way I, I I look at it. So you may all take a different view at it, and we can discuss it some more. But the, the, there's there's a lot of attorneys now that are making the argument that. You know, they they were stopped by the police, and they they were you know they were arrested, and you know four hours went by, and they asked for credit. I don't give anybody credit if they were never booked into the jail. So for yes. me, it's not an issue. But I do know that the, that I, mean, I guess the city court judges were doing it, and they were giving them the credit for the time while the investigation was going on. So, I mean, I wouldn't be so sure that no one's going to do it. I'm just it's it's been yeah, out there and I'm sure the attorneys are going to make those arguments
then the state will argue that doesn't count. And then it could be, there could be litigation. I'm looking at Michael Kielski's argument that the law says any portion of a day counts day. That's case law, but case law can be changed by statute. So now statute's changing what was, if that's the case law, statute's changing it and saying you don't get credit unless you spend eight consecutive hours. And uh, so, uh, you know, the Supreme Court, and I've told as 20, my 27 years for the legislature, you don't like a Supreme Court decision, so long it's not constitutional based, go in and change the statute. That's your prerogative as the, uh, as the legislature. And this case, this bill obviously came from someone who, uh, to, the, to the senator, who said, hey, this is being abused in that person's mind. So that's what leads to legislation like that. Jerry, this is Mike Reagan. Uh, I just give uh, uh, them one day if they've been for eight hours or more. Yeah, that's what I would do I, if I wanted to. Um, but yeah, I'd get, if it's eight hours or more, I'd give the I'd give the one day credit. But someone may make the argument, hey, this person served sixteen hours. You need to give them two days credit. Well, the first of all, maybe no. <laughs> yeah, and if, first of all, number one is discretionary. And number two, that's clearly not the intent of the uh, of the legislation. So uh, anyway, um, just we got about three minutes left before I have to go to Superior Court before I get bound over for uh, for trial uh, on Prop 207. But <laughs> Charles is going to going to talk about Prop 207, Rule 36 of the Rules of Criminal Procedure uh, is effective on an emergency basis until the court meets in its August uh, rules agenda, where it's gonna consider adopting the rule on permanent basis. That is the expungement procedure. And the, stat the statute does go through a good part of the procedure as well, uh, because it's embedded in the, uh, <laughs> excuse me, it's embedded in the, uh, in the initiative. Uh, there is a petition uh, it's R21-0023, I believe it is. There was a petition to amend the rules of civil traffic and boating procedure. And that petition seeks to conform, include within the rules of procedure, here it is right here, within the rules of civil traffic, civil marijuana. Now, most of this is adopted on a temporary basis by an administrative order in order to allow the court to function, but it's going to be considered at the August rules meeting. There's been no comment on, uh, on this one, but uh, filed, but it defines case and violation to include marijuana it adds civil traffic box to the ticket for civil non-traffic to pick up uh, to pick up the marijuana cases, anything else that might come down the line. It authorizes the filing of a civil marijuana violation, which is also in the statute. Traffic hearing officers can hear marijuana cases now when the bill takes when the rule takes effect. Finding of responsibility does not go to MVD. 
and it makes technical conforming changes and updates the citation and the instructions on the on the citation. So that is, um, and I said 23, it should be 21-0005. Um, um, so uh, that is, um, that's the first rule. And then the second rule is uh, the rule 36 that's already in effect because expungement is the 12th. Now, you may be dealing with expungement because possession of drug paraphernalia is filed in the limited jurisdiction courts here. In outside of Maricopa County, possession of marijuana is. So just keep that in, um, keep that in mind as you go along. And with that, I'll answer any final questions and then head to Superior Court. And I'll be glad to come back and talk in more depth if you're all interested and whenever you're all interested. Jerry, thank you so much uh, for participating and, and I'm sure we'll have you back uh, at some point. Any last questions quickly? All right, thank you, Jerry. Okay, you're welcome. You all have a good day. All right, and I am going to uh, quickly talk about uh, marijuana expungement. Uh, and uh, first, House Bill 2171, as Jerry indicated, did make some changes to Title, title 22. We'll talk about the difference between an expungement and a set-aside. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Senate Bill 1249, the changes to set-asides, limited jurisdiction, uh, limited jurisdiction issues and script and checklist. So uh, House Bill 2171 created a new chapter in Title 22, which does apply to civil marijuana violations. It gives jurisdiction to the limited, limited jurisdiction courts for civil marijuana, and it does allow civil traffic hearing officers the ability to hear those civil violations. The civil violations are for people between 18 and uh, 21. Uh, it is not uh, for juveniles. Um, you may see them in our courts. We've been told that those are supposed to go to juvenile court. Uh, they're not fully enforcing that yet. So we, uh, but some at some time in July, uh, those should be going to superior court. So you will be seeing 18 to 20 year olds, uh, especially in those jurisdictions near ASU where they are really enforcing that. And then uh, there's another, another change to Title 22 regarding JPCs. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the JPs will productivity credits for civil marriage. The differences between an expungement and a set-aside uh, first, it, it vacates an adjudication or conviction. It expunges any record of the petitioner's arrest, charge, conviction, adjudication, and sentence. Their civil rights, including the right to possess firearms, are restored. The clerk of the court is required to seal all records relating to the expunged arrest, uh, charge, adjudication, conviction, or sentence, and allow the records to be accessed only by the individual whose record was expunged or the individual's attorney. DPS shall seal and separate the expunged record from its records. 
The arresting and prosecuting agency shall clearly identify in each agency's files and electronic records that the petitioner's arrest, charge, conviction, adjudication, and sentence are expunged and shall not make any records of the expunged arrest, charge, conviction, adjudication, or sentence available as a public record. An arrest, charge, adjudication, conviction, or sentence that is expunged may not be used in a later prosecution for any purpose. Here, here's one of the big changes because when we do set asides, uh, people will say, "Do I? Uh, can I say that I've never been uh, arrested?" And I'll generally say, um, "Talk to your attorney." Uh, if the marijuana or possession of drug paraphernalia expungement has been expunged, uh, then they can say they have never been arrested for it. And the court shall grant the petition unless the prosecuting agency establishes by clear and convincing evidence that the petitioner is not eligible for expungement. So this really turns everything on its ear. Uh, once the petitioner files the petition, it's the, uh, the county attorney is going to have to come in and establish by clear and convincing evidence that the petitioner is not eligible for expungement. And the county attorney itself can file a petition for expungement, as may the attorney general. I, I don't know if they will do that, but they can. And the petitioner does not have to complete the terms of their sentence. Uh, so in a set-aside, you do have to show that you completed the terms of your sentence for a marijuana expungement. If you paid your fine, um, oh well, uh, thank you. You're not getting your money back. And if you haven't paid your fine, guess what? You're still eligible for an expungement. And uh, as Jerry indicated, thank you, Kathy Riggs, uh, we finally can set aside Title 28. There is... Uh, Another um, house, house bill that kind of slipped by without a lot of discussion, uh, and that's 2067. If we grant set-asides, we now have to provide second chance certificates, uh, and um, this allows them to obtain occupational licenses, employment, or housing. The uh, AOC is working on forms for that, and so I, I look forward to those forms, uh, but that's going to create additional paperwork for set aside. And then another thing that kind of slipped through is House Bill 2483, which uh, forbids animal ownership for certain offenses. Uh, however, the defendant may apply after one year to the court where they were convicted. The court must hold a hearing within 60 days and uh, Thank you, this is the traditional method where the defendant has the burden of proof. And um, it adds applications and hearings. The court shall order a site exam if necessary. And if there's others in the house that own a pet, the defendant may request a renewable one-year exemption. So within the five years, uh, they could um, ask for a hearing so that they can uh, possess animals within that one year. I was looking for pictures of animals, and uh, I found this one in everything in Australia that's trying to kill you. And, and when I saw Russell Crowe in there, I, I just had to include this picture. So some of the issues that we're going to see going back to expungement is how do we expunge a record that has been purged? 
pursuant to the record retention schedule and as a result no longer exists in a court system or files, we're going to have to figure that out. Uh, if it was filed in JP court and then found over to Superior Court, the petitioner has to file in Superior Court. If there was an arrest only and that never went to a, a criminal case, that would be filed in Superior Court. Thank you. And uh, I've already answered this one. Is a successful petitioner entitled to a refund of fines and fees paid? No, they're not. Or uh, else we'd be uh, in, in the business of returning money. So um, I have also created a checklist. For those of you who are too young to, to know that these are Chi Jin Shang. I created a checklist for the expungements. You'll get this in your materials, uh, but this tells you what you do at your initial review. Uh, and um, you can set it to hearing if either party has requested a hearing or if the court concludes there are genuine issues of fact regarding whether the petition should be granted. Uh, you, you, uh, and if it is set to hearing, the state has the burden of proof and should present first. And then your ruling has the prosecutor proven by clear and convincing evidence that the defendant is not entitled to expungement. And if they have not proven by clear and convincing evidence, uh, then uh, you would have to grant the expungement. And when you take the bench, hopefully you will see, oh, that's not the one I wanted to show. All right, uh, hopefully you'll see the bond card for Title 36 that does show the different violations and uh, the suggested fines. And the this one here is the civil trap uh, is the civil marijuana violation. And so um, you may wonder, how did we get to $5? We did a survey monkey of our judges uh, and said between zero and $100, how much would you find for this? And uh, $65 was the weighted average. Uh, and that's for the first violation. A second violation uh, should not be on the ATTC, a, uh, the ATTC should just have a violation. And if a prosecutor wants to allege priors, uh, they would, they're supposedly supposed to file a notice of prior conviction, just like they would do for a DUI. Uh, I, and I know in some courts that they are getting cited as second violations by, by the officer on the ATTC. I, would suggest for those you would set it to a pretrial conference uh, rather than accept a guilty plea because by that point it is a second violation is a petty offense. A petty offense is a criminal offense but uh, there's no jail time but a petty offense is a criminal offense in every other aspect and of course a third violation would be a class one misdemeanor. 
So do we have any questions about marijuana? Okay. Uh, at this point, Taj, why don't you go ahead and do your presentation? Okay. And I'll put I'll put that on the screen. And and by now, everyone should know Taj Rahilu. And if you don't, hello, I'm Taj Rahilu. I've had a lot of email conversations with most, if not all, of you. Um, but I think this is the first time I've presented to all of the pro tems as a group as opposed to um, just the new pro tems. So today I'm just going to go over a few little tips and highlights of our policies that affect you guys as pro tems. Um, beginning with, next page please Charles, the policies that specifically affect you. Um, I'm sure most of you guys know this already, but for those of you that do not, there are Maricopa County Justice Court bench policies that have been adopted and that are effective. And those are the policies from which I gather the information that I provide to you about what your requirements are, um, what the rules are regarding what you can and can't do, those kinds of things. If you ever want to look at those policies for yourself, you are free to do so. And this is exactly where you can find them. The policies that directly impact you are bench policy 1.3.1 and 1.3.2, which give a brief description of your specific job um, duties as a pro tem, and the policies relating to the appointment process, reappointment, retention, training, um, assignments, those kinds of things. If you're on the network, you can find those in the share drive, and I've given the uh, directories for how you would locate that. If you are not on the network, you can also find copies of those specific policies on Hightail. Charles has uploaded those to the uh, Hightail Judicial Resources webpage. Next, next slide, please, Charles. And the important information for your purposes in those policies is reappointment. Um, the requirements, as you know, were recently changed to um, increase the pro tem work hours to 50 work hours. For those of you who are new, those work hours are prorated to 29 during your first year. However, for this year, due to the pandemic, all of those work hours are waived. Um, it's likely that they will be back in effect starting with cycle, which begins um, September 1st. So please make sure that you're aware of that. But for this cycle, you don't have to worry about meeting those 50 hour work uh, work hour requirements. However, you do still need to meet your cojet requirements, and those are now 12 hours per cycle, and those include some specific types of training courses, which is a little different from previous years. Um, we've added on some, some course topics, uh, and the reasoning behind that is that these are the areas that the justice courts do the majority of their work in, and we want to ensure that everyone who is working in the courts accepting assignments has some experience and training in those areas and that that training is updated annually. So the two hours of evictions, which all of you should have if you're eviction certified because we've had many, many hours of evictions trainings, your hour of ethics, an hour of protection orders, your half an hour of computer network security training, which has to be renewed annually, 
and an annual lawn procedure update and training. Many of you have reached out to me about that, saying that you don't have it because I've, I've let you know that you don't have it and wondering how you can meet that. In case you haven't, um, haven't realized or haven't noticed in the emails that I've sent out, we have a lot of trainings going on over the last few months and through July, including an annual um, law and procedure update. So that training is coming up next uh, in the next few weeks to a month. You will be able to get that training done before the deadline. And then every other year, in the odd years, you will be required to do uh, anti-harassment, anti-discrimination workplace training. And so many of you did one in 2019 when that requirement first came out. That requirement now has to be renewed if you have not done the one in 2021, which was the implicit bias. You can go online onto the hub and take any course that begins with WHT for workplace harassment training, and that would satisfy that requirement. Also, you have to be proficient in EDMS. So please make sure that you're keeping up to date with the EDMS. Um, skills and trainings. If for any reason you're not able to make these requirements in any given cycle year, you can seek a waiver from the presiding judge, currently Judge Russell. That will be changing um, in, in the end of the month. So whoever is the new presider for the upcoming cycle, that is who you would reach out to to secure a waiver if you do not have the uh, necessary cojet or in the next year, um, the necessary work hours, and he or she may, for good cause, make an exception to those requirements. Next slide, please. Cojet training. Um, sometimes I get emails from people asking about a course that you have taken that was not an NCJC-sponsored course. What our bench policies say about that is that Cojet training is meant to be awarded for trainings that we sponsor. The reason for that is because the limited jurisdiction courts, the, the justice courts, have a very specific type of cases that we handle, and we want to ensure that you guys are getting training in the type of work that is directly related to the task that you would be called upon to do as a pro temp. Um, that doesn't mean that other legal training isn't fabulous and wonderful and that you shouldn't avail yourself of those opportunities at any any chance you get. It just means that we can't always give you credit for those. Um, but education is its own reward, as I'm sure you all agree. And so if there is a course that you have um, seen that you would like to take that you do feel is directly related to your duties as a pro temp, you simply need to seek pre-approval from the presiding judge for that course. When you do that, you would reach out to him or her with an email giving the title of the course, the amount of time, um, and then specifically some details about the course if it isn't clear from the title that it's directly related to pro tem responsibilities and job tasks. So something that lets the presider know what exactly that course is going to cover so that he or she is in the position to decide if he or she wants to give you credit for that course. Um, Please do that before you take the course and then submit the COA expecting credit. You're, you can obviously take the course, but you can't necessarily expect to get credit for it if you haven't sought pre-approval. Um, next, next slide, please. COA, I use that in a lot of emails because it is very simple and quick and much easier to type than certificate of attendance. I thought everyone was familiar with it. Apparently, everyone is not. 
So this is my opportunity to let you know what COA stands for. When you see an email from me referencing COAs, I am referring to the certificates of attendance. Those are the sheets at the end of every training that is COJET eligible that Charles puts out and it is uploaded onto Hightail. Um, inevitably, I get a flurry of emails after every training from people asking, where's the COA? Can I send the COA? Um, I just recently got one from Monica that was very, very funny. I thought it was serious. It was a joke. I laughed out loud when I saw it. Um, the COAs, I will say again, <laughs> are always on the last page of the written materials, which are uploaded to Hightail. I've included the uh, link to Hightail in this, but if you don't have these materials, you can always, any email you get from Charles, always pull up any old email you have from Charles. At the end of his signature line, it has a site for judicial resources and it has the link to Hightail. That's where you will always find all of the training materials that have been provided in any training. And on the last page is the certificate of attendance. All we ask is that you then sign that, send it back. Um, if, if you don't know how to access that from the materials, please just reach out to me and I can, I can tell you how you can do that so that you get it as a, a single page. Um, and then send it back to both me and to Keenan DeWitt. Keenan is a very important part of that email process because Keenan is actually the individual who inputs your COA into the hub so that it's reported. I don't do that. Um, but I do keep my own informal list so that when you guys reach out to me asking about something, I can check without having to bother Keenan all the time. So that's why I ask that you CC both of us or you email him and CC me. Um, our emails are provided below. And when you do CC your PDFs, if there's more than one, please separate them individually as separate attachments. They can all be sent in one email, but each COA should be a separate individual COA because Keenan has to upload it individually. He can't upload it as a bulk of five COAs. Um, so please do pay attention to that. Um, I do try to send out a copy of a blank COA after each training to, um, to circumvent all the, the flurry of requests for COAs for those of you who don't know how, how to access Hightail. But please keep in mind, it may take up to 24 hours for me to get that out to you. You can, if you'd like to get it faster, you can go onto Hightail and get it yourself. Or if you would like to wait for me to send it to you, I will usually have it out to you within 24 hours. So just kind of a, a little timeline so that you know if you don't receive the COA from me immediately, it's coming, just give it a day. Thank you, next um, slide please. So how do you access the hub? I get a lot of questions about the hub. I've included the link to the hub in the materials. You may or may not be able to see it really well on the screen. You can always obviously maximize your, your, um, your visual view to, to see it better. But these materials as well are also on Hightail um, as part of this roundtable. So you can always go on Hightail, print it out and keep it in your book for future reference. If you want to access the hub, you actually have to have an account with the hub. You should all have an account. Um, if you don't have one, thank you, Andrea. If you don't have an account, I've included the link to register with the hub so that you can get an account. Um, if you had an account but you've forgotten it or it's gone inactive, you can always 
contact Keenan, who is kind of our hub guru, and he will assist you in reactivating your account. If you have forgotten your password, um, you can reset it once you have your account reactivated. Your username will usually be the email, or will always be the email address that you used when you first registered your hub account. Um, if you need any assistance with the hub, Keenan DeWitt is the individual who can help you with that. And he, uh, his email again is in the slide. Next slide, please. Those of you who have been doing this for a while, the veterans, you know how you get work. And those of you who are new, we discussed this at the new Pro Tem Brown Bag Lunch, but some of you may not have been able to attend that and may be on today. So I did want to just kind of briefly revisit those issues. Um, courts send group emails and, oh, thank you, Denise. A court send group emails sometimes asking for a pro tem for coverage. Um, sometimes they send me individual emails saying that they haven't been able to find coverage from their usual go-to people and then ask me to send a group email. Sometimes they individually contact the pro tems that they work with and have a relationship with. Um, that's the way that this is, that, that work is found and assignments are given out for pro tems. So if you are not getting the types of assignments or the quantity of assignments that you would like from the courts, what I would suggest is that you reach out to the court managers at the courts that you're interested in working at, introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself or remind them that you are available for coverage and that you're eager to take an assignment in their court. Continue to check in with them. You can always check back with your sponsor judge, even if he or she was your sponsor several years ago, if you're looking for some work. And most importantly, try to be available. I know this isn't your main job, but if you can have some flexibility and availability on short notice, um, try to be available to those last minute requests because frequently courts will come into a situation where an unexpected emergency has arisen and they need coverage at very short notice. If you are available for those types of coverages or for courts that are perhaps a little farther out, um, like surprise, you will find that you are likely to be called again and again by those courts, and that's a good way to, to grab some assignments. Next slide, please. And again, some tips for those newer pro tens who are just already um, just getting into this and who maybe were not present at the brown bag lunch that we had for you guys. But also for the veteran pro tens who may not know some of this information, some of the judges have bench books. Um, I know, for example, Judge Watts has a bench book that he keeps for his pro tems. When you go into a court, ask the court manager if the court maintains a bench book. And if so, utilize that as a resource for what, um, what that court likes to be done in their court, how they would like things to be handled. Of course, that's not meant to inhibit your own judicial discretion. But keeping in mind that we don't want justice to vary from judge to judge or from court to court. So we do try to maintain a consistent um, policy as much as possible. And also you are a guest in your judge's courtroom and you want to ensure that you are doing things as much as possible the way that they like your court to be run. So ask for their bench book and follow it if at all possible. Create your own bench book of notes that varies and makes um, distinctions between each of the courts that you visit because there are some variations in practice from court to court. 
make a note of those things and uh, keep track of it so that you are following each individual court's preferences. Be friendly, polite, courteous, which I'm sure you all already are, um, to the court staff and to the clerks. Remember, they are there to help you and you should treat them with the professionalism and courtesy that they deserve. And then take advantage of all of the virtual training options that are available. Next slide, please. Finally, some administrative details. If you have questions about human resources types of stuff, such as your pay statements, your W-4s, benefits info, all of that can be found on ADP, which is accessed via Okta, which you have to use Internet Explorer browser to get. So that's the one um, website where you kind of have to go in through Explorer. If you want to watch some of the trainings, um, if it's a MCJC training, usually Charles will send me a that training after it's over within 24 hours, not within the next five minutes, but within 24 hours, he'll get that to me. And then I will forward it out to everyone who was a participant, like all pro tems, if it was open to pro tems or pro tems and hearing officers, if it was that, uh, a training for both groups. I will forward that out to the groups as a group last so that you have access to that. However, keep in mind, because sometimes you guys reach out and ask, will it be recorded? Not every training is recorded. Some trainings cannot be uploaded to YouTube because of copyright issues. So I don't always know in advance which of those trainings will be available for a YouTube link and which will not. Um, I will give you the best information that I have in t at the time, but keep in mind, you may, if you're not live in some of the trainings, you may not be able to, to see that training, but most are available on YouTube. If it's a COA, uh, I'm sorry, an AOC training, it'll be available on Windle. You would need to contact Alan Sparrow to get an initial Windle account access. I provided the information for him in this slide. If you want previous written training materials, they're on Hightail. The COA will be at the last page of those written materials on Hightail, and I will also uh, send out a copy within 24 hours after each training for you guys. And then there's the access link for all of the podcast trainings. Not all podcasts are project eligible, but many are. So if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. No? Great. Thank you. All right, this is your opportunity uh, to ask questions of, of the judges we have here and of the people that we have here. Uh, we do monthly roundtables for all of the JTs that um, are so popular that uh, the JT Association asks that we make that available around the state. Uh, and uh, so this is your opportunity to ask questions. We did get a couple of questions submitted uh, beforehand, and, and uh, we can turn to those. But first, I'm going to, uh, if you haven't been to Hightail, uh, then shame on you. Go to Hightail. And the way that I put these in here is that I put them in by training year. So the most recent stuff should be at the bottom. There's some stuff in here that are 001, 0001, because I, I, I wanted to put those up at the front. 
So you'll see the appointment, uh, the, the policies are in there at 0001. If it's in a strange order, then go to manual sort order and you can do change it to date added or by file name um, or by recent activity. And I, I always do it as file name because like I said, this way, um, the most we, uh, or, uh, it's organized by year. And obviously you do want to go to the most recent one before you go to prior years in case something has changed. Charles, uh, so, I may Yes. There was, there was a question to me in the, the um, chat that is actually probably best directed to you. It was about how basically how long after the program for you to put up the materials in Hightail. The materials are usually put up before the program, and if they change, I'll change them after the program. Uh, for the roundtable, uh, since I'm uh, not sure exactly what's going to be covered, I'll put that together after. Uh, and so that, that will be up no later than tomorrow morning for this program, including the CoJet certificate. To upload the classes to YouTube or a podcast takes some time because I have to download them from GoToMeeting and then I have to upload them to YouTube and, and to uh, 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 the podcast. And since we've got two today, uh, that's going to take a while. So we'll probably have that up tomorrow. So any questions about Hightail? I have created a couple of other uh, tools for everybody, and I, and I can go through those. These will be included in, in the materials, but I've uh, created something that I call a bench card, and it's a four-page bench card. The first page is criminal matters, and we talk about the type, the appeal rights, the burden of proof, do the rules of evidence apply? If they don't apply, what is the alternative? And one of the reasons I did this is because the evidentiary hearing uh, on motion to suppress, uh, it, it's a little tricky uh, with respect to who goes first. Um, and I put in preliminary hearing also uh, in case you want to pro tem in a different county where they do that. And then I did one for post-conviction. I put restitution in here, uh, contempt. I uh, added marijuana expungement, including the burden of proof is clear and convincing for the state to show defendant is not entitled to expungement. I put the animal return in here. There actually is a provision in the DV statutes for a firearm statute. I'm not aware of anyone requesting a hearing on that, but they actually can request a hearing uh, to have their firearms returned to them. The third page is for civil matters. Uh, and so we do include small claims, evictions, um, civil traffic, judgment debtor exams. So that is all included on that. And the final page is for orders of protection, including for ex parte injunctions against harassment, uh, there are different rules for if you're doing a pre-issuance hearing. Uh, um, you do have to find good cause exists to not have a hearing. Uh, and, and I think a lot of uh, judicial officers forget to do that. Um, but you do want to hear from the other side unless there's a really good reason not to hear from the other side. So I did put this chart together and it will be included in your materials. 
the other uh, another chart that I have created is who may appear. And in the past, we've had a grid of who may appear. Um, but the rules have changed. Uh, if you haven't looked recently, Rule uh, 31 has entirely been rewritten. And um, it, it's now, uh, limited jurisdiction is now Rule 31.3. This uh, chart that I put together does have hot links. Uh, so you will be able to just click on the link, or you should be able to, or at least just cut and paste uh, for everything that I've cited. Um, but uh, it includes small claims, protective orders, civil traffic, disabled individuals and juveniles, uh, the uh, Judicial Ethics Advisory Board did do an opinion last year. It was their only opinion last year, and it did come from a question uh, be because of an issue raised by Steve Gattel, uh, and um, who wanted to know if the Americans with Disabilities Act would uh, override our unauthorized practice of law uh, issues, and the Ethics Advisory Committee said no. Uh, so uh, I included that in here. Uh, when we get our out-of-state attorneys, that's the link here. And eventually we're going to start seeing some legal paraprofessionals. And so the rules regarding the legal paraprofessionals are here. And that is a hot link. So um, you can go to, the, uh, to that. All right, and one more chart that I did do, and I just put this together for our hearing officers and thought uh, you might appreciate this one as well. It's on statutes of limitations, so I do go through um, all of the statutes of limitations. Remember the issue uh, of when does the uh, statute of limitations start for, um, for debt, uh, whether it's the it used to be when from the charge-off date, and now for a credit card, it is six years from the first uncured missed payment, even if there is an acceleration clause. Uh, as a closed installment account where you aren't making regular payments per contract, uh, that, that runs, the whole balance can be sued for no later than six years from the final payment due date. And then I put the security deposit language in here as well. So that is an additional tool that I've created and will distribute to everyone as well. So any questions about any of those documents? Anything else would you that you'd like to see? Hi, Charles, can you hear me? Okay, a quick question on the Pro High Beachy. Isn't that a superior? Do, do they have to go to superior court and get that order? Juris, limited jurisdiction courts can't issue that for out of state for attorneys. For what? For out of state for attorneys. Do where do they? Where does the attorney get the Pro High Beachy order from superior court? Uh, they actually apply to the state bar. The bar issues for 
they apply to the state bar. Oh. But they had to go to Springer. Okay. I can look for that later. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So um, unless we have any other questions, I'll go to the uh, questions that were submitted beforehand. Is when a bench warrant is issued for a defendant and the JP sets a bond amount, the IA commissioners routinely dis disregard the bond amount and often release the defendant OR. This includes cases involving multiple FTAs, extreme DUI, and cases involving a victim. Uh, and so they want to know if this is a problem. Uh, and frankly, uh, the, the IA commissioners do have their own independent judgment. We had the Fair Justice Initiative a couple of years ago, which uh, where we really are encouraged not to be incarcerating people because of an inability to pay uh, and based on different economic amounts. And so there's a push to be releasing people uh, on marijuana, marijuana, on misdemeanor charges uh, unless they, we were very concerned about public safety. Uh, then we also had COVID uh, come along where you really don't want to uh, have someone with a driving on a suspended or even a DUI uh, charge and make that a death penalty offense by uh, potentially uh, exposing them to COVID in, in the jail. Uh, but the the commissioners do have their own discretion. And yes, they are going to ignore what is on the warrant. Um, what they have in front of them is a misdemeanor and the commissioners do see felonies. Uh, and I, I do pro tem in other jurisdictions on the weekends and do jail court. And um, I've, the last two weeks I've done jail court and the last two weeks I've had murderers. Uh, so, you kind of take a murderer a little more seriously than you take someone who's driving on a suspended license. Um, I've also had child molesters uh, and bank robbers and drug runners. Um, when, you, when you put them in perspective, I know it's frustrating that someone continually fails to appear uh, for a misdemeanor charge, but when you stack it up against some of the other stuff that, that occurs, it, it's not quite as, um, Quite an issue. The next issue, and, and I'll turn this over to Judge Russell or to Taj, um, is the issue of pro tem access to ISIS. Someone wants to know why um, our pro tems don't have access to ISIS. Do you, do you want to comment, Taj, or do you want me to? Either, but I was just looking for the email with um, Jim's comment on that because I think he explained it pretty well. I believe that the question was specifically access to superior court cases, correct, through ISIS. And at least I, I don't have any familiarity. I don't have a lot of background in, in what the policies or the reasoning behind it were. 
Um, but from what I understand from Jim Morrow when he was addressing that, let me see if I can find his response. I, I recall, if I recall from when I read it, it was that basically over the recent years, um, the Superior Court had undertaken a lot of steps to restrict access to ISIS as a computer security, um, a computer security network issue. And that had included reduce, uh, restricting who had access to the Superior Court's data, even within the Maricopa County system. And that it is not unusual that our pro tems and that our justice courts don't necessarily have access to the case management system of the superior court. Um, I don't know if we previously had access to ISIS in a fuller context than what we currently have, but it's my understanding from Jim's response that it was a deliberate choice to restrict that access by the superior court and that that's probably not going to change. If you have anything that you can add to it with your um, your experience, Judge Russell, I think that would probably be very helpful. But I think from my impression, the short answer is that no, our pro tems will not have access to superior court through ISIS. And and I think that's a good summary. Um, the only thing I would add, it's, it's somewhat similar to the access we have from municipal courts. Um, we, they, we have other courts in the county that people do not have access to. This is no different from that. Um, the suggestion was going forward that if there's any information about a case, if it's, I apologize, if there's anything that comes out about a case um, that you feel that you would like more additional information about, that you should simply ask the prosecutor or defense counsel what the status of that case in Superior Court is. Um, because we shouldn't be doing independent research on the cases to begin with. So it's not that you can't get that information. You simply need to get it from the defense counsel or from the, the, the attorneys or from um, the, the parties involved. Great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and we also got another question on evictions from Monica. Uh, and um, I, I guess the, the answer I can give you, Monica, is uh, we hopefully will know by June 18th at 12 o'clock. Uh, we should have a draft of the final administrative order that does take care of the cleanup uh, of of what we're gonna do at the end of the road. I mean, we've been kicking the can down the road. I think we've come to the end of the road and um, there will be uh, another administrative order that will take effect upon the expiration of the CDC order. Um, and, and, and I'll withhold comment until that actually comes out and we see what is actually in that. Uh, and that'll be another webinar that'll be um, uploaded onto the web and made available there. And, and we do have judges Riggs and Huberman and Russell present. Uh, if this is your opportunity to ask any questions of them or uh, judges Riggs or Huberman or Russell, do any of you have anything to say? I just want really quick, I mean, if anyone has any questions, I'll let you, your questions 
take precedence over what I was going to say, but um, I just wanted to bring up really quickly some of the. Uh, so uh, you're telling me that I need to go to a new mechanism, then, huh? Uh, yeah, or someone, somebody who. Someone needs to mute their phone. Um, I just wanted to say some of the the typical. Um, errors, let's call them, that I see in my court um, have to do, I mean, I am personally of the opinion that I don't want to tell a pro tem what to do. I know that some judges are just like, this is how you need to rule in my court. I don't have that. I want everyone to rule their conscience and do what they want. But what I would ask, if there's something that goes deeply against what I want to do, just don't do it and leave it for me. Uh, one of the bigger issues that I have has to do with interest rates. Uh, some uh, some pro temps just sign the 200 <coughs> the 204% interest rate without uh, looking at it. So I would just you know just recommend that you all ask the judges and the courts where you're working, <coughs> figure out what it is that they want or what their normal procedure is. Um, that would be, and then I think the other issue that I personally see is alternative service. Uh, in my court, we require that alternative service be done by posting and mailing certified and regular mail. Uh, there are some requests, did I get cut off? Oh, there's some requests out there that come for just posting with no mailing. Some come with just mailing and no posting. Uh, some come with just regular mail, whatever it is, you know, I would just suggest that you read the orders before you sign them uh, to make sure that they also uh, comply with what the court uh, requires. That, that That's just my two cents. And if I can just add for Judge, Humer, Judge Huberman's comment, if it's not in the bench book, and obviously you're there covering because the judge is not there, ask the court manager. The court manager is the best insight into how that court's judge likes to handle issues. So if you have any doubt, ask your court manager or deputy court manager if they're not there. All right, Judge Riggs is chair of our pro tem committee. Judge Riggs. All I'd like to say is if anyone um, needs more exposure to uh, orders protection requests, injunction against harassment, Mondays in Northeast, um, usually no less than 20 requests, sometimes multiples. So, you know, in a half a day or full day, you can get a lot of exposure, a lot of variety. And then, and certainly if you um, haven't done a, a pre-issuance hearing, I'll welcome you to come sit in on those. I usually do those on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So just reach out to me um, and I can let you know, you know, as far as calendar and also make sure I'm there because I've kind of been in and out of late, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I'm always here to help or answer any questions you might have. Well, likewise, everyone knows that, you know, evictions can come to my court. That's definitely where you'll find them. Um, but um, 
I, I do want to say that um, I am really pleased with the, the, the pro tems that we have. The new group of pro tems is really fabulous. Um, they, they, even the ones that I don't know send me messages, they're like a friendly bunch and, and, um, and everyone is really interested in learning and, and, um, and it's, it's, it's really a pleasure. So, you know, just reach out to anyone who's looking for work. We are, we are always willing to, um, to help you all out. And let us know what we can do to, to help to serve you. We do appreciate your, um, your work for the justice courts. Uh, and if there's anything that we can be doing better, please let us know. If there's any other, you know, we do have a bunch of classes coming up uh, before the July. Uh, if there's anything more that you would like, uh, any particular issues, please let us know. Judge Russell, we can give you the last word. The last word, I, I think we've mentioned Judge Riggs. Mentioned where her where she's at, Charlie. Okay. I keep watching, Kathy, the wind blowing through the trees behind you and thinking that is a Hawaiian breeze and I am jealous. Um, even if it's hot and sticky, it, it oh. looks exciting. So it's well, fun to right. watch the trees. <laughs> well, they haven't been moving of late, which has made it awful. So um, they're supposed to have some rain, but they haven't yet. So just a little bit at night. But yeah, it's been humid. And you know, uh, those of us from Arizona are used to the dry heat. <laughs> Though I don't look forward to coming back. I see it's gonna be 115, yikes. Yep. And, and let me just express my appreciation also for everybody's work and effort. Thank you. Um, we do have a good group. I, I was commenting to somebody earlier this morning that uh, you may be aware I'm, I'm leaving as the presider in less than a month. And the best thing about this job has been the good people I get to work with. There are just great folks who are good public servants in, in Maricopa County Justice Courts. And I'm grateful for those associations. So thank you. And uh, I just uh, want to ask, uh, uh, as the pandemic is winding down, uh, there are, are some who want to go back to in-person uh, in, in matters. Do we like having the, the go-to-meeting or Zoom sessions, or would you rather be doing these in person? I like the go-to meetings. This is Monica. In case we can't get there, obviously it's it's nice to be able to at least join virtually, um, but it would also be nice to see everybody together. But if we had to keep doing this, or if we see each other, if we can always perhaps have the option of virtually in case we're at a court somewhere or we can't get to wherever we are, then great. Anyone else? Actually, Monica, the mentioned what I was going to suggest. Is it possible to have these live and also 
uh, to do a go-to-meeting in the in the room where they're held at the Justice Court headquarters? And I will see if we can figure that out, but it, it's obviously not going to be as good uh, as as um, for it, it would not be as good an experience for the people virtually as it would be right now. I mean, if if I were doing this with a room full of people, I wouldn't be looking directly at the camera um, and and have all the functionality that we do have now. So um, we'll have to see if there's a way that we can do it. Uh, I mean, in the worst case scenario, we would just record it live and put the video up and, and there would not be an opportunity uh, for the virtual people to interact unless we uh, find out a, a better way of, of doing that. So uh, that, that's why I say there are pluses and minuses. I mean, one of the great things like this is Judge Riggs can join us from Hawaii. Uh, Otherwise, she she wouldn't have been here. So, this conference will now be recorded. All right, thank you, everybody. Uh, again, the materials will be in Hightail, uh, and um, we will see you for our, our next session. Thank you again for all you do, and um, shoot me an email if you have any questions, Monica. Uh, where do we get the certificate of attendance again? It will. <laughs> he does okay. this. This is for me. For those of you on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have a great day, everybody.